Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Jacobs, the digital editor of the Journal of Petroleum Technology here at the SPE. And if you're tuning in today, you're going to be hearing from our very special guest, Greg Lavelle, who is the Chief Technology Officer at ConocoPhillips. Greg, I want to thank you for joining us. Yeah, Trent, thanks so much. It's exciting to uh, have a ch chance to be on SPE Live and uh, look forward to our conversation. Great. Well, Greg, let's jump right into it. You know, this is a uh, unique period in the history of the oil and gas industry that we're all living through. Uh, and one aspect of it is that every oil and gas company is having to uh, reassess or reduce their spending when it comes to things like R&D, um, which uh, really affects our community because we're always thinking about technology. Um, so how has that roadmap changed or not changed for you at ConocoPhillips? Yeah, so when you think about the, our technology roadmap, I'd say over the last three months when the pandemic's really you know, hit our industry, we haven't changed our direction uh, to any significant degree. But if you look back further in time, there's been enormous changes. Uh, it's really been an evolutionary process over maybe the last six to eight years. And if you think about what's happened with our industry, I, I'd say really two things have really informed uh, how we look at the future and the roadmap for technology. One is recognition of uh, how dramatic the change has been as far as perceptions around hydrocarbon abundance and uh, also the digital revolution that's going on in the industry. And if I say unpack those two a little bit, you think about hydrocarbon abundance, it wasn't that long ago that uh, most technology roadmaps were focused on challenged resources, resources that, you know, frankly needed significant improvements in cost of supply to be cost competitive. So if you go back to the first decade after the start of the 21st century, you know, that was the focus of uh, most of the R&D in our industry. Today, we are uh, laser focused on trying to take our low cost supply resources, and make them even better. So big, big switch there. And then the other uh, piece I'd say is, space. you know, I know there's a lot of talk about uh, digital and, you know, uh, it's almost perhaps being overexposed. But we really think that, you know, the 2020s is going to be the decade in which, you know, digital really comes into its own in our industry. Um, it's almost like the 2010s were the uh, decade of unconventionals. 2020s uh, really going to be focused on digital improvements. And uh, a reflection on that, for ConocoPhillips, three of our four big technology programs are digitally focused. And the fourth one is really digitally enabled. So a lot of focus in that space as well. Well, I want to stay on this topic just a little bit longer because, like you said, it, it is such a, a big theme, especially since the last downturn. If we think about sort of a lot of the narratives that came out of that, one was that, you know, the industry has to turn towards digital to survive. And so a, a question that's coming out now, which I think is really relevant, is, you know, what have the prior investments gotten the business um, so what, what, what did your, you know, your costs that you already spent on the digital transformation, what, how are they uh, helping you now during what is widely considered a, a period of duress? Yeah, now that, that's a question I think uh, every company is grappling with, all the members of SPE. Yeah, I guess I, I can think of three areas which you know, are, are probably worth highlighting uh, for this conversation. One would be around virtual communication and collaboration technologies another round automation, perhaps a third one around data analytics. So, uh, you know, if you look at the virtual communication and collaboration technologies, COVID-19 pandemic has really uh, raised the status of having those capabilities inside your company. Uh, we are mostly a Microsoft Teams organization. And, you know, if you look back prior to the pandemic, we were using Teams to a, you know, moderate degree. 
but we've seen a six-fold increase in the use of the product. And it, it's not just uh, using these types of tools to communicate like this. You know, they're not just video conferencing technologies. Uh, we're really using this to collaborate across organizational boundaries. So uh, we are now able to uh, basically connect people in various office locations. You might have someone in Alaska, Norway, Houston working together on a particular technology. They can do it real time. They can collaborate, uh, sharing files, modifying files. Uh, you know, it's just so much you can do. Uh, whiteboards, polling, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, a huge opportunity for the industry. Uh, we've had to learn how to use these technologies under stress, but I, you know, I think it's going to change the way a lot of things get done. Uh, so we're excited about that. Uh, one of the automation space, you know, with the COVID-19 pandemic having uh, really caused everyone to think about how do we uh, keep people distanced from each other, you know, in many remote locations, uh, we've had to demand the operations. So an operation which might normally have several hundred people on location, you know, might be down to a few tens of people. And we've been really pleasantly surprised by how effective we've been able to run our operations with fewer people on site. And if you think about what's enabling that, you know, a lot of that has to do with the automation technologies that uh, ourselves and other companies have been installing for the last several years. So, you know, the ability to, uh, you know, remotely operate, um, work equipment with a minimum amount of human intervention and have equipment that really is uh, intelligent beyond just a kind of a simple on off type of uh, uh, choice. So uh, that would be the second one. And then data analytics is very complementary to that. So you think about what's allowed automation to uh, occur at the scale that we've seen uh, here recently. A lot of it has to do with the ability to take uh, data, take data real time, understand what's happening and make decisions uh, inside the machine, if you will, at a pace that's far faster than what uh, humans could do. So data analytics is an area which is really uh, getting a lot of focus, uh, both in the automation space, but also things like, uh, you know, how do we couple uh, artificial intelligence with some of our traditional physics-based technology? So if you think about digital twins, either reservoir simulation of the subsurface or, you know, how a facility operates at the surface, you know, we've been building physics-based models to simulate how the uh, equipment works or the subsurface works. We're now starting to couple that with uh, basically artificial intelligence informed models and that, that's how making a big difference trend. SPE is proud to co-sponsor the Energy and Data webinar series. Engage and connect with Sunil Garg on June 25th at 8 a.m. Central Time for update structural models in real time using machine learning. Garg's demonstration will focus on a machine learning workflow in the upstream oil and gas domain to predict formation tops by applying artificial intelligence and machine learning techniques to learn the well log signatures. Don't miss out on this great learning experience. Register online now. The Energy and Data webinars are powered by AAPG, SEG, and SPE. You know, it, it's interesting. You gave some examples of uh, sort of, you know, enterprise innovations and then some operational. And I'm curious, you know, I, I kind of have two questions on that. How do you balance those investments as an organization, you know, where, where you donate those dollars uh, for digital uh, transformation? And where do you see the bigger ROI? Is it on uh, enterprise worker productivity or is it the fewer heads per well idea that's that's uh, generating more value at the wellhead? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's kind of across that, that whole spectrum. Uh, you know, if you look at the unconventional business in the lower 48, 
You know, today, I think the industry's drilled somewhere just short of 150,000 uh, horizontal wells that have been hydraulically fractured. You know, over the next decade, the, the industry is going to drill, you know, many, many hundreds of thousands more. So we're looking at a four to five times uh, increase in the number of wells. So we're going to have to find ways to manage uh, those type of operations without increasing the size of our workforce. So if you think about number of workers required to uh, manage both the uh, placement, uh, drilling, and then operations of the wells. We just got to get better and better with time in order to uh, remain uh, low cost of supply producer. And then, as you mentioned, there's a lot of things that you can scale across an enterprise. One of the things which uh, we're really excited about is that we've been able to put more and more attention on trying to uh, take technologies that have been successful in one place and bring them to uh, other places. So some of the successes that have been achieved uh, with operating centers, for example, in Alaska or Norway uh, in the past, we've been able to bring that information or that technology to our operations in lower 48 and vice versa, been able to you know, take uh, advancements that we've achieved uh, in the lower 48 and port those around the world. So, you know, we're, we're moving into a decade, which I think is going to be incredibly complex uh, for the industry. Uh, things are moving fast. Technology is changing. Digital, you know, that can be scaled very quickly once you find uh, solutions that work. And with complexity, I think you just got to get better and better as a company at, uh, you know, spreading technologies across the organization, adopting things quickly. You know, one of the big themes we have right now is accelerated adoption, which is, you know, how can we, if you will, spike the curve on adoption so that we get it uh, compressed to the shortest possible period of time. So I had a question about like sort of what are the trends that you expect to see in the future? And you, and you sort of, uh, uh, you know, brought up a few of these uh, actually, um, and, and, you know, I'm gonna give you my take and then you can, you can tell me how, how correct I am here. But, you know, it sounds like sort of what we've seen in the last four or five years since the last downturn is sort of a prelude uh, to what you're predicting will, will take place to this next decade. Like you said, uh, the digital transformation is a buzzy topic. It's, it's somewhat controversial, big promises. Uh, the deliveries are sort of start, you know, uh, more nuanced, I think, than the broad marketing push of it. Um, but what you're saying is that, you know, in the next 10 years, a, a lot of this uh, uh, will come together and will really be the, dig the digital transformation will actually happen. Yeah. You know, I'm very confident that's the case, just uh, observing what's happening inside our company. So one of the things which has worked really well for ConocoPhillips is we aren't looking at the digital transformation as something which only, you know, kind of digital workers uh, coming out of university are going to be involved with. So this isn't just data scientists or people with degrees in computer science. You know, a lot of our biggest successes, Trent, have been when we've uh, been able to uh, take our petroleum engineers and either one, they've uh, kind of learned the skills to do uh, some amount of data science themselves or couple them with a data scientist to attack some of the more difficult problems. And, you know, some of the successes we've achieved have been just absolutely amazing. I, you know, I can think of one where we uh, looked at how do you optimize completions in unconventional reservoirs. And, you know, the tradition has been, uh, you know, let's uh, get, uh, you know, bigger completions, uh, more sand, more propent, uh, more fluid, you know, everything's getting larger and larger. But what we found was that when we actually went in and did some uh, detailed data science work, you know, bigger isn't always better depending on the conditions. So, you know, it depends on the price of the products that we're selling. So, you know, obviously if you're at very high uh, oil or gas prices, you want to get the most you can out of uh, the entire reservoir. So you might move the wells closer together, put bigger completions in place. 
uh, when prices are lower or costs are higher, you'll come up with a different plan. So we're starting to develop some uh, deep, deep insights on how to optimize our overall businesses, well plans, uh, development plans for entire fields. And a lot of this is being done, as I said, by you know our uh, petroleum engineers. So you know I think what's really going to make the digital transformation uh, really, really effective as far as lowering cost of supply, having a bottom line impact, is that when we kind of can couple the kind of traditional uh, technologies which we've been using in the industry with some of the insights you can get from digital. Want more insights from today's conversation? SPE publications cover all aspects of the upstream oil and gas industry, from technology and careers to production and operations. Learn more about our peer-reviewed journals, magazines, books, technical papers, and technical reports. It's all at spe.org slash publications. Well, I, you know, since you brought it up, you know, the, a lot of the oil and gas world is wondering what happens to U.S. unconventionals. And so you brought up some of ConocoPhillips' work, uh, which we've reported on here at JPT, some very compelling stuff. Uh, before we got on, I was, we were chatting a little bit about the uh, the test site work uh, at the Eagleford that we uh, we wrote about and featured in uh, December 2019. Um, but what, what do you foresee? Can you can you unpack this and, and get a little bit more detailed on on how you see well designs, development strategies, um, changing. And then also the, the big question is, is, are there any uh, efficiencies left to drive out of the system? Um, yeah. You know, or have we figured out, you know, 99% of it? Yeah, it seems like every uh, 25 to 50 years, someone comes along and says that, you know, the world's discovered all the interesting technologies it can ever discover. And I can tell you for unconventionals, that's not the case. There's still a lot to uh, be done. You mentioned the uh, test site in the Eagle Fur. This is where we had drilled a series of development wells, hydraulically fractured them, and then drilled multiple test wells through the hydraulically fractured reservoir to acquire core data, log data, pressure data. You know, we had fiber optics in some of the wells. So acquired an incredibly uh, robust data set. And from that data set, we learned a lot about hydraulic fracturing. Uh, that's really helped us help inform the approaches we're taking today. You know, I think there's still more to do in that space because uh, there's only been a limited number of these test sites. We did the one in Eagleford. There was an industry consortium that did one out in uh, uh, the Midland Basin. There's one going on today in the Delaware Basin. But, you know, we, we were just absolutely shocked by what we found, Trent. Uh, you know, basically the geometries that the textbooks and computer-based models said should be there uh, weren't there as far as the hydraulic fracture uh, network and, you know, some of the characteristics of prop and distribution and in particularly how the, the uh, stimulated rock volume drains with time. So the pressure data has just been incredibly informative. So, you know, we shared some of that uh, at uh, URTEC, uh, the Unconventional Resources Technology Conference, but there's more to do. I mean, we're actually looking at follow-up projects in that space. We're looking at, you know, how do we use refracts to uh, get more out of the reservoir? As I said, as you know, it becomes more important to get to a lower and lower cost of supply. You know, because if you believe oil prices may not recover to the level they were at as a result of the reduction in demand, um, you can start thinking about, okay, how do I change the development plan? So, you know, I think there's a lot for uh, our industry to learn in the unconventional space. Uh, our experience has been if you have rocks in the best part of the reservoir, in the, the sweet spots, if you will, um, you're going to be able to uh, do things there that uh, further lower cost of supply and, uh, you know, basically make uh, – those types of opportunities more competitive. So I think unconventional reservoirs are going to be coming back, uh, but they're going to be in a world which is very, very competitive. All the other asset types are trying to find ways to improve as well. 
Yeah, it's a good point. You know, it feels like uh, there's been so much learned just in the past few years in the unconventional space. Um, And it's and it's, uh, you know, you would hate to think that uh, all that progress is going to be slowed down. And so to hear you speak, it sounds like there's there's still a lot of room for uh, diagnostics and execution. And the industry has, has, has built up some of this new knowledge to where some of these uh, experiments or decisions can actually now be a little bit cheaper to go forward with. Um, but, you know, the, the, the topic of the day is COVID-19 and, you know, yeah. one of the, uh, you know, it, it sort of dominated uh, every aspect of, of our lives these days. Uh, but if you just go back uh, to January and the months before January, the biggest theme in this industry uh, was dedi- you know commitments to sustainability. So we're talking about lower emissions programs and and, and zero carbon targets and lower carbon targets. Um, you know, this has been another question: Has COVID changed those priorities? Uh, you know, can you speak to that from ConocoPhillips' point of view? Yeah. So uh, you rightly mentioned that sustainability is uh, something front and center for the industry, and I, that hasn't changed at all. And you know, in fact, there's great technology stories developing in this space. Uh, you know, sustainability is a topic with uh, a lot of different elements, and I might just highlight two of them. Uh, greenhouse gas emissions, particularly methane emissions from, uh, you know, our uh, facilities, uh, wellheads, production systems, and also all water sustainability. So if you look at greenhouse gas emissions, you know, the industry has, uh, for some period of time, been looking for ways to be able to monitor for methane emissions and do it, uh, you know, uh, effectively. And this is a tough problem. I mean, methane is a colorless, odorless gas, and uh, you know it's been hard to detect. But the advancements being made in sensor technology and some of the automation I was talking about earlier really has uh, opened up some uh, new capabilities that they be able to exploit. So we're very excited about this. We're working with technology companies, uh, looking at satellite detection, aircraft-mounted uh, devices, uh, devices you can put on drones, on uh, vehicles you can drive around in the field. And also, perhaps uh, really importantly, is mounting uh, sensors in the uh, facilities themselves. So uh, we're uh, hopeful that with these technology advancements, we're going to be able to get to a place where methane emissions are going to be able to be identified very quickly. And really importantly, to be quantified accurately enough that uh, you'll know when you have a uh, a problem which needs immediate attention. So uh, that's uh, happening and I think that's going to be a big, big advancement for the industry. The other thing I probably highlight, uh, Trent, is that uh, you know, frankly, the water side of the equation is one that's going to uh, continue to get more and more attention. So, uh, you know, if you look at the Permian Basin, for example, very, very large amount of water being produced on a daily basis. Industry needs to find a way to manage that. Uh, we were being really proactive, looking at recycling technology. Uh, we recently had one really uh, fantastic story where a, I think it's a micro bubble flotation technology, which helps make the recycling process much more efficient and effective, worked in the Permian. We were able to port that up to our Montney operations in Canada and you know get a good result there. So that, that ability to quickly transfer technologies around the company, find things that work, uh, deploy them elsewhere, continue to help drive down cost of supply and improve the uh, sustainability of our business, that's got to be the model uh, going forward as, uh, you know, we go into the 2020s here. Well, thanks for that, Greg. I'm, I'm smiling a little bit because as you're talking, I'm, re- I'm reminding myself that these are some of the technologies that we've reported on uh, in JPT. So no shameless plug. Uh, we're, we're just the ones uh, reporting it, but uh, you guys are the ones doing it. 
Much of the work of the Society of Petroleum Engineers is accomplished by members. Become a volunteer and use your knowledge and experience to influence SPE programs and activities. As a volunteer, you can enhance your leadership skills while meeting and working with other SPE members from across the globe. There are many opportunities to get involved, regardless of your experience, location, or experience level. To learn more about the League of Volunteers, visit spe.org volunteer. Uh, but Greg, you know, I wanted to come back to sort of uh, the SPE and, and, and walk away a little bit from, uh, you know, sort of thinking about operations and technology, uh, you know, applications in that regard for, for EMP. Uh, what, what do, you know, what, what is your advice for SPE members who are faced with these challenging times? Um, you know, should they be thinking about uh, new skill sets? Uh, you know, what is the most important thing that they should be doing to advance their careers during these challenging times? Yeah. You know, so when we, we look inside of ConocoPhillips, one of the things we are very aware of is that as we you know, develop new capabilities, uh, we're going to need the human capacity to uh, utilize those capabilities. And as I said, the industry is evolving very quickly. So I'd say continuous learning, upskilling, if you will, is really going to be a, a focus uh, for many companies and really should be a focus for all of us. <laughs> Uh, you know, in the data analytics space, I mentioned that, uh, you know, we're really trying to arm our uh, petroleum engineers, our geoscientists, our business people with those skills, because we, we see them as being absolutely mission critical to being successful in the years ahead. Um, you know, frankly, I'd ask all the SP members to think about what can I do to become more digitally aware, work with more digital technologies. It's not to say that our traditional technologies, the, you know, the reservoir engineering, the production engineering you know, capabilities are, are diminished in uh, value, but uh, being able to couple digital with uh, kind of those core technologies, I think that's really going to be the secret sauce as far as, you know, companies being able to continue to advance uh, their ability to lower cost supply, get ahead of sustainability issues. And if companies need uh, those type of capabilities, it would make sense for the members to really focus their time on energy on uh, developing those capabilities themselves. Okay, well, thank you, Greg. Uh, you know, I want to open it up to the, the Q&A session here. We have about, uh, it looks like about 10 minutes for that. And so the, the first question that, that came through that I thought was pretty interesting um, takes us back to technology and keeps us in the digital realm. So, you know, can you talk to us, Greg, about, uh, you know, what you think about producers embracing open data, open source tool sets to advance industry efficiency? Uh, this is something that we've seen take place in other industries. Uh, how is that uh, going to work out in this one? Yeah. So uh, whoever asked that question obviously understands that the more data you have access to, the more likely it is you're going to be able to develop deep insights. So, you know, I think one of the challenges for the industry is how do we go about uh, sharing key data sets such that the industry as a whole can make advancements as quickly as practical? We are actually a fairly fractionated industry. I mean, if you Compare us to most other industries on the planet. We have far more players in the uh, industry than most uh, most others. So the ability to uh, get access to data that allows you to see the bigger picture is going to be important. Some of the things uh, we're doing, we're investigating data sharing consortiums. We've got one going uh, up in the Bakken with Woodmac, where they've uh, got a collection of operators together who have agreed to share certain data that. Uh, uh, isn't in the public domain so that all of the operators can uh, get a better understanding of how to optimize uh, well designs in the uh, Bakken and best operate the wells. I think you're going to see more and more of that. You're seeing a lot of uh, data uh, gathering services, if you will. So 
you know, uh, services that go about and gather up all the data in the public domain, some of them doing analytics on those, making those available to companies. So you don't necessarily need to be a big company to gain access to some of these uh, tools and capabilities. But, uh, you know, the industry really does need to find ways uh, to do this because in the, in the final analysis, you know, we're not just competing with each other. We are competing with other sources of energy. And, you know, frankly, we've got to keep driving down the cost of supply for oil and natural gas. I've used that term a lot. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, it's, you know, the price uh, you would need to receive for the sale of your product to get a uh, 10% or higher rate of return, or at least that's the way we think about it. So if you drive down that cost supply point, you can make a good return at a lower and lower product price. And we think that's going to be the game uh, that uh, the winners are going to play in the, in the 2020s. You know, whenever low prices come back uh, to this industry, certain segments of it suffer more than others. And so I had a couple of questions come in about the deep water sector and then also EOR, because we know this is an area where, and I'm specifically referencing unconventionals or shale EOR here, uh, which is something that uh, takes us back to your technical work uh, in the Eagleford. So can you comment on, you know, how this next, this, this next round of lower for longer affects those two segments of the business? Yeah, so uh, in the shale space, uh, a number of companies are engaging in EOR projects, most of them uh, in the Eagleford, but in some of the other plays, there's been uh, efforts uh, underway now for some time. Uh, we're seeing, I think the industry seeing some mixed results. I mean, the, the ones we've seen that have been successful, you've been able to contain the gas in a relatively small area. The ones that haven't worked so well, you know, if you have a, a fracture network that extends across the basin, you just can't pump up the pressure in a big, in a, uh, you know, small enough area to have an impact. So I think there's a lot of things yet to be done in that space. As with many other aspects of unconventional, a lot of the uh, initial approaches to things like EOR have been, uh, you know, let's take a technology we used in conventionals and see how it works on unconventionals. You know, and perhaps the better question for unconventional EOR is, are there some uh, alternative approaches that uh, really are customized for the type of uh, system you're dealing with there? You know, on the deep water, ConocoPhillips uh, pulled out a deep water exploration and development, uh, you know, several years ago now, almost half a decade ago. And that was really a part of uh, this evolution of our overall technology strategy and our company strategy. As I said uh, at the outset, uh, you know, 10 years ago, ConocoPhillips was looking at a number of challenged resources. Our peers around the industry were doing the same thing. Uh, people were looking at gas hydrates on the north slope of Alaska. Uh, developing oil offshore in the Arctic in areas where there was sea ice on the uh, surface six to nine months out of the year, oil shale in uh, Colorado, that's where the oil is locked in the rocks and you know, has to be, uh, you have to heat up the rocks in order to extract those oils. Uh, you know, when we looked at deep water, we thought, uh, you know, that was going to be a relatively high cost of supply uh, for them to uh, be engaged in. So for our company, we, we made a strategic decision that was a hard decision because ConocoPhillips has been in the offshore since the beginning. We, we went into the offshore right after World War II. When I joined the company, I joined Conoco in the early 80s. It was an offshore company. And of course, deep water today is the frontier in offshore. That's where most of the new big discoveries will be made. But, you know, we, we are really taking to heart this uh, view that, you know, you need to have the lowest possible cost supply to be a winner in this industry. It's not to say there aren't going to be good deep water discoveries and you, know, you look at some of the stuff like off Guyana, you know, exceptional results. But, uh, you know, we, we thought that overall it wasn't going to be a game we were going to want to play or pl be able to play effectively. 
Are you considering becoming an SPE member? When you join SPE, you join a society of dedicated professionals just like you, working to address the technical challenges of the global oil and gas industry. SPE membership gives you the opportunity to make local and global connections and build a network of influential technical leaders from every discipline. Learn more at spe.org slash join. If we take things back to, you know, uh, unconventionals for a second, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about pressure monitoring these days. This is something that we've reported on heavily at JPT because we, we, we were looking for, you know, sort of that next evolutionary uh, step uh, change, if you will. And uh, it, it, the, the pathway leads to something called real-time fracturing or on-the-fly fracture design. This has been a big topic uh, in the completions community, uh, because, especially amongst the engineers who are really striving to you know, improve these designs and lower capital costs for these wells, move us away from cookie-cutter designs. Uh, could you offer us some, some thoughts or a prediction on the future in this respect? Uh, is real-time fracturing going to change the business in the next you know, several years. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, when you look at the capabilities that are being developed as far as sensing technology, automation, you know, you start thinking about how can you apply that when you're uh, pumping a hydraulic fracture away? You know, we know that the rocks talk to us. You know, the rocks uh, tell us about uh, what's happening down hall. It should influence how we, uh, you know, uh, design, if you will, the fracture stimulation job. So, you know, I think monitoring what's happening real time and then having the capabilities to understand based on what uh, the sensors are telling us what we should do is going to be an area with a lot of opportunity ahead, uh, Trent. You know, the whole completion space, I think, uh, has uh, a lot of uh, opportunity for automation, both on how you go about the mechanics of uh, hydraulic fracturing as well as uh, the downhole side of it. So uh, perhaps drilling's a bit further ahead in that space. We've seen enormous advancements there. You know, we're, we've been so excited about that, but uh, completion is following not too far behind. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that. Uh, I've been waiting for other people to sort of uh, raise the point that, that we've seen so much advancement on the real-time data acquisition and actionable insights uh, uh, in the drilling side. And yet that, that has not uh, uh, moved uh, stepwise with completions. But now in the last year, we're really starting to see uh, some concrete developments there that I think will be just as exciting as what we saw in the real-time drilling space. Yeah. So, you know, we're working in a high-tech industry. Many, many people on the outside don't visualize it that way, but the technologies that uh, are being deployed and the uh, advancements those are creating are really amazing. Well, Greg, uh, yeah, I really appreciate you giving us a half an hour of your time now. Um, we're going to wrap it up, uh, but did you have any final thoughts on sort of uh, we talked a little bit about, you know, some advice that you would give to the average SBE member, but was there a parting thought that you wanted to give everyone? Uh, I hadn't thought about that beforehand, but I guess, you know, if I was to uh, pass on what I'm passing on to the ConocoPhillips employees, you know, it's really to, you know, continue to upskill your uh, capabilities, uh, you know, stay focused on learning, developing and broadening your uh, network and relationships. And then stay optimistic about the longer term future. This is an industry that goes through big ups and downs. We're in a down period right now, but uh, the industry will come back stronger as long as we keep innovating and finding ways to improve uh, upon what we do. Well, thanks, Greg. We will be sure to keep our chins up. Uh, with that, I want to say stay healthy and safe and goodbye for now. Thanks again, Greg. <laughs>